you know, it's absolutely something that I own, that I ran past that love. It felt like this was now my identity. This is what I have to do. This is what I need to do. It's not so much what I want to do. Mm. And the moment I started looking at that like a vocabulary that I use around going for a run, I started to realize like, hang on Lucy, like check yourself for a minute. If your mind's not in it, it's not going to be long before your body just breaks down to kind of really put a full stop to this journey. The pandemic gave me that opportunity to just kind of, I don't have to race, I don't have to be ready for a day in the year. And I'm just going to focus on sorting myself out and just kind of finding what sets my heart on fire and chasing that again. Because, you know, whenever you, whatever you do, if you're really happy about it, then it's, it's always going to be the best thing for you. And I was just realizing that I was just getting swept up in what I think I thought everyone wanted me to do. When at the end of the day, everyone just wants me to be happy. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Nicole Bunyan, founder of Running Mums Australia. Each episode, I will be speaking to everyday women who have an inspiring story to tell. We will cover the highs and lows of their own journey, the impact motherhood has had on their life, and how running has inspired them to live wilder, dream bigger, and change the world around them. Thank you for joining us on this new adventure that will hopefully leave an imprint for you to live out your own life inspired to conquer goals you never thought possible. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another amazing episode of the RMA podcast. Today, I have the most exciting guest for you, ultra trail runner Lucy Bartholomew. So many of you would know about Lucy and her journey and her rise to ultra running, but there'd be a lot of you that might not know about Lucy. So we've been chatting for a while now about getting her on the podcast and it was the best time to get her on now after the recent release of her new running film, which is called Running Out by Brian Hines and her journey along the Lara Pinta Trail. So I had Lucy on and there was just so much that I wanted to share about Lucy's story from her journey where she started running ultras at only 15 years of age alongside her dad to running around the world and her rise to fame in the ultra trail running circuit to how she has navigated the trials in her life to running along beautiful landscapes such as the Lara Pinta Trail, what she thinks of community. We talk about issues around body image and how the female perception of, you know, what an athlete should look like and how this has impacted Lucy on her journey and how she's navigated that road to today and what that looks like for her now in terms of running and performance and her love of the sport. We talk about the pandemic and how this impacted her and also we discuss the most amazing journey along the Lara Pinta Trail. This conversation just brought me straight back to running along the Lara Pinta Trail. But not only that, you know, Lucy has been someone that's been part of my world, I guess, for so long now. And I just have been following her journey for so long and seen the ins and outs of being a young woman and what, you know, the struggles that 
young women face. And I guess Lucia has had to deal with those struggles alongside being well known in the sport. And yeah, it's been really nice to watch her grow and learn along the way. And it was just a great conversation because we both discussed afterwards how even though we're on different ends of the spectrum in terms of our age, you know, I'm 20 years almost older than Lucy. We broke down the barriers to what it means to be a woman in sport these days and that we can actually learn and help each other to grow and accomplish so much. So I know you're just going to love this conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Make sure you listen right to the end of the podcast so that you can learn where to find out more about Lucy's journey and continue following along her story. And also, of course, follow and download and watch the Running Out film. So now I'd like to introduce you to Lucy Bartholomew. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocram at your local pharmacy. Hi, Lucy. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on. I've wanted to have you on the podcast for such a long time now, and I had talked to you about it in the past, um, but I think that this was like the perfect time to have you on because so much has happened in your world. Um, and in our world, I guess as well, um, with, you know, the pandemic and just, you know, your journey with ultra running and in the sport. Um, and now the release of your new film, Running Out. And I thought this would be a great time to chat to you about all those things. And I know that, you know, you're not a running mom, but we feel like we're kind of like your adopted mums, <laughs> if that makes sense to you. Um, because we've been following your journey for such a long time and so many of us have been inspired by it and I guess have felt close to it in terms of um, following along and sharing in your story. So thanks for coming on and being part of our story. Yeah, well, I have to say, you know, like I've been in the sport of ultra running for 10 years now and I've always, whenever I've seen RMA on anyone's top, it's always been someone that, I felt, you know, even as a, as a young 15 year old in the sport that I could, they were someone that I could talk to. And it was very, it's very nice to, to have that, you know, wherever I go, I feel like you guys are everywhere. Um, and it's incredible. So yeah, I feel like I'm, yeah, maybe not a mom, but I definitely feel like I have a lot of moms, uh, all around the, all around the world. <laughs> yeah, you do. You do. So many moms around the world. Um, you know, and I, I, I've met you for the first time in person um, back at Pace Athletic Run Club. We, we did a run. You came that night to speak with Mayel. And um, I, I distinctly remember you running along beside me. We're going down this really steep hill somewhere. And um, you, you saw the shirt and you said, oh, running moms. And you asked me about it. And, and I really like that you, even as yourself, like that would have been, gosh, I think maybe four years ago, maybe. So even yourself as a young woman were interested in connecting and asking about what that all meant. So I've never forgotten that. Like, you know, that you actually do care about everybody in the sport, not just, you know, it doesn't matter about what age you are. Um, and, and I think that that's shown through 
your journey um, that you've connected and inspired people of all ages from the youngest person right up to, you know, the eldest person. So yeah, I just want to say thank you for that because that did impact me um, of someone who as an older woman, like, well, not old, but I'm 44, but looks up to somebody like you who is, who has come through in the sport. So thank you for that. Oh, that means a lot. I remember that Pace Athletic Run Club. And, you know, one of the things I've learned with doing all these community, um, community events and meeting people is I might not remember people's names super, super well, but when you kind of ask for their story of what made them come to that run club on that day after work, you know, like all the stresses of life happening and you realize that people just want to have someone to talk to and they want to have that outlet and they want to go for a run to physically empower themselves. And the simplest of question of like, how's your day? You know, what brought you here? And the stories you hear, and I I think it's what's always kind of brought me back down to earth of, you know, I have it pretty easy. Um, You know, my day is to go for a run. Uh, And there's people that have families and jobs and they've had illnesses and they've overcome so many challenges um and you know you spend five minutes and i just kind of pick my jaw off off the ground and uh think holy moly like this sport is full of incredible humans that you know we wouldn't know any of these stories if we if we didn't take the time to ask oh 100 percent. and how amazing are the stories and that's i think that's why i love running so much is that it connects us and it connects our stories and everybody has a story. And that's what this podcast is about. It's not about just mums. It's about women and, and men. I've had some men on the podcast and we'll continue to do so, but it's about the human story and how running um, connects us and inspires us and brings the best out of us and challenges us. And so that's what I really wanted to, um, I guess, learn about with your story and share about because your journey has been so vast. Um, You know, you started in the sport as a young girl, you know, as you said, 15 years of age running alongside your dad and now you're 25. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. 25 years of age now. And like, there's so much that's happened in your world, Lucy, so much to your story. And I'm sure that you've learned a lot about yourself along the way. And a lot of this, the journey hasn't been like, you know, you say that you have it easy, but you've had your struggles as well. Um, and, and being so gracious to openly share them with people too. And I think that's great because it keeps people real and honest and authentic and feel, people feel like they can relate to you as a person, not just a really good runner. Um, so I think it takes a lot for someone to be able to openly share part of their story um, like you have. And I think that's why so many people connect with you. So, so let's go back in your story because some people, as I mean, I find it hard to believe because you feel like you're, I feel like you're so much part of my world because I see so much of what you share every single day. I follow you and I, and I follow along. Um, but some people might not know who you are still. Um, and so you know, do you want to let the people know who are listening to this podcast who you are and maybe a little bit about how running entered your sphere? Yeah, definitely. That was really beautiful. Thanks, Nicole. Oh, you're welcome. Um, 
So I'm 25 years old. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. Um, I currently am in Diamond Creek out in the Yarra Valley with my living with my dad and our puppy Tani. Mm-hmm. Um, so running has been, it's always been something in my sphere. You know, I have two older brothers. Um, I'm the youngest, uh, super competitive with them. And so I always tried to keep up. I played all the team sports at school because every team sport got a day off school. And I thought that if I just went in every team, I would probably not have to attend so much class. I was in the chess club, which also did really, really well. We took many days off, (laughs) Um, but I played, you know, a lot of volleyball, netball, basketball, and I loved the team sport more for the social. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would get in a lot of trouble at the trainings and do a lot of the running because I would talk too much. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, you know, I kind of, I always thought that team sports was kind of it. And I thought that the running side was the punishment. Um, And then it wasn't until kind of between um, when I was 12, 13, that I started to run to kind of be fit for the team sports so that I would be picked. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as things started to fall away and the team sports stuff, you know, kind of came to a halt as VCE and, um, exams started taking up people's priorities. I kind of realized that, you know, when I run before school, I sit in class a whole lot happier and a whole lot more attentive. And if I run after school, you know, I feel really, really uh, relaxed for the evening and I can sleep well. And it kind of just was something that I'd always seen my dad do. My dad's done 20 Melbourne marathons um, and has always used running as a way to explore the world. And I think I saw him come home from work and if he ran home from work, he was, you know, so much nicer and he would give us dessert and, you know, all (laughs) these cool things. Or if he ran to work, you know, he just kind of, he was always in a better mood. And so I started to implement it like him and it would be just something I did beforehand or as a way to transport myself around. And he was looking for a next challenge. He was kind of over the marathon distance, he was getting older and therefore slowing down a little bit. So he was looking for something to stop comparing himself and he found the what was then the North Face 100 and is now the Ultra Trail Australia 100K in the Blue Mountains in Sydney. Mm. And, you know, he was terrified. And it was the first time I saw my dad like a little bit shook. It was kind of like this mandatory gear list. After a marathon where you carry nothing, you pick up a glass of wa- a cup of water and that's your fuel. You take a carrier gel, you're good to go. And there was this list of clothing of thermals and fleece and have your maps and your compass and your first aid kit and don't forget your high vis and your headlamp and dad was just like what on earth but he signed up and you know I was kind of like this is cool like this is like really rad and he'd go away for these weekends and he'd go for these long runs and I was so interested and I said oh can I come along I'll ride my bike next to you and we'd go away for these weekends and I'd ride next to him and until he'd finish and then we'd go to a cool cafe and eat up and then travel home and I'd come to school and I had seen all these places and done all these things and I just loved it and as I got stronger I started to leave the bike at home and I would run next to him and we'd just run until we had nothing else to say and then we'd turn around and make our way back and it was just kind of my favourite way to spend the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I went up to the Blue Mountains with him since I was such a big part of the preparation and, you know, I waved him off from the start line at 6am at the Fairmont and it was kind of like, 
you know, I was 14 years old and it was like, well, now what do I do? You know, I've got 20 so hours ahead of me. Uh, what should I do? And so I just picked up the bag of stuff that he'd given me to meet him at some checkpoints. And I just started following the flags as well. And I took a few cut, um, shortcuts, but I got to um, all the checkpoints and I'd lay all his stuff out and, you know, he'd come in, he'd be like, oh, Lucy, you should see this huge staircase. I went up and this big climb and I was like, yeah, buddy, I did it too. And I did it with like all your shit you'd given me, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know? And um, anyway, kind of where it got around that this little 14 blonde girl was just like, following the course and having chats with people and I got some lifts along the way and uh, I remember finished him watching dad finish the race and the race director Tom Landon Smith came up to me and he was like you've got to do this when you're old enough um but I watched my dad finish and I kind of was like on the train back to Sydney airport was like I'm not waiting till I'm 18 I'm gonna message every race director of 100k races in the country and find one that will let me uh let me compete and so that was when uh kind of I had my sights set on what I was going to do mm, I love that I, I mean there's so much even just in that story about your dad's first ultra or first 100k ultra in fact like you know I just want to backtrack a little bit about that because obviously your dad has been a huge influence in your life and your journey to now um, what did you love about most about running with your dad at such a young age? I think I loved, I think my dad, when I would see him, he spent a lot of time at work and then he'd come home and he was always pretty tired. So I never really felt like I saw the best version of him mm. when he was out on the trails. He was like completely relaxed, completely free. We were away from reception. You know, his yeah. focus was on the, the then and the now. Mm. And, um, I think I loved that. I loved the conversations we would have. And, you know, like we were saying just at the start of this episode mm. is that when you're running with someone, you don't have to look them in the eye and you end up saying things that you wouldn't say like if I sat opposite him on a table at a table I would I by no means say the things I said to him as I was like looking at the dirt and mumbling and yeah you know, like it's just such an authentic and raw experience mm. and I think that you know he became more than just like my dad out there it was like gosh you could probably call him my therapist the way he talked me through Mm. Um, things at school or stresses about whatever friends or you know things like that and mm. I think I just loved how much it broke down the barriers of like yeah he's 50 and I'm 15 and he's my dad and I'm his daughter but like at the end of the day we're both just runners trying to you know move our body through the bush and uh, it's way better when you try and help each other so I think I just loved that and then that's kind of what I try and take forward into anyone I meet is that like I don't see the age and I don't see the shape or I don't see the what is like the considered the hierarchy of like he's my my adult mm. um but yeah it's just kind of like we were very even and because he was getting slower and I was kind of getting into the sport we were the same pace and that's all that really mattered to uh, to make it an enjoyable run mm, that's so beautiful I just love that and I I really noticed that relationship with the, with your dad. And I guess you, you think of a father figure as someone that, you know, is a protector and um, 
and I guess a confidant as well. And that's something special that you've had with your dad. I'm sure there's moments where your dad also puts you in line, you know, he doesn't agree or whatever in the past, but I think it's so nice to see openly a relationship of a parent and a child like that, like, you know, and moving forward in life that you still have that strong connection with your dad. And he's been one of your biggest supporters and, and your brothers, of course, as well. Um, and of course your mom, <laughs> but I just, um, yeah, I just think it's so beautiful that you guys started there. I, I did an in, an interview with um, Eloise Wellings not long ago, and we've talked about that too, about the journey for her with running started with her mom running on the trails and just that that time for her was about connection more than anything else with her mom, because, you know, the days were so busy and that was the time that she got her mom solely to herself. And it kind of broke down those barriers that she was able to talk to her openly and so much free, more freer than if, you know, you were sitting across the table, as you said. So, yeah, I just wanted to sort of touch on that because I think that's just such a beautiful story of you and your dad. And I know that that journey is going to continue on with you, you guys. And it did continue on like in terms of your first hundred K race. So you did manage to run your first hundred K was it 16 years old at the surf coast century? Yeah, correct. 16. And you did receive a little bit of backlash about that because you were so young at the time. Um, what did that experience teach you when you finished that race feeling so good and happy about yourself and, and what you wanted to achieve there and, I guess, how to navigate the experiences moving forward in your running career. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I signed up for the Surf Coast Century, um, you know, I they put out that this 16-year-old was going to be running side by side with her dad. And there was a lot of criticism. And what the criticism came from, I, I believe, a place of like love and concern and caring. You know, I don't think that it was malice. I think it was just kind of, people people are afraid of the unknown they you know we all kind of are taught to be risk adverse and to not do anything too crazy because there was a group of high school kids from Geelong that were walking the 100ks but because they were walking that was fine running and taking two feet off the ground at some point was like a little bit too uncomfortable for people Mm. and you know we had articles written saying that my parents were bad parents for letting me do this, that I clearly had an eating disorder or an exercise addiction um, and, you know, that I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And I remember on the start line of that race, my dad kind of looked at me and he said, you know, Lucy, you need to smile your whole way through this hundred kilometers because there are so many people that want to pull you out and they want to be right. Um, and you kind of need to do it kind of as a middle finger to them to kind of say like, I'm happy. I love what I'm doing. I'm doing it because I love myself and this is something that I love. And yeah, when I finished that race and, you know, I finished smiling, I finished super happy. I finished with, you know, more in the tank that made me want to come back the next year But I think what it taught me is that no matter what you do in life, people are always going to have an opinion. And I've learned this for 10 years. Um, You know, you go on social media, you're putting yourself up for judgment and people are more than happy to give you a one star rating um, and to give their opinion of something that they actually don't know anything about. No one knew the training that I'd put in, the plans that I had to submit, the medical um, hurdles I had to jump over in, um, in, in addition to everything else to sign up for the surf coast century. Mm. And I think of it like, you know, a 45 year old overweight man or woman can 
you know, on a big night at the pub, just be like, I'm going to run a hundred Ks tomorrow. And they're allowed to do that. But me as this 16 year old, who's been training for, you know, two years really, um, and had everything all lined up, uh, you know, people raised the flags. And so I just kind of was like, I got to do me and I got to do it proudly. And as long as I'm happy with what I, what I put forward, then it shouldn't really matter what anyone else thinks. Mm. And so how did the day pan out for you for your first 100K? Oh, we just had the best time. I mean, it was pretty funny. I remember running off the start line and then dad just being like, hold up, Lucy. And then kind of, you know, dad has always had this like wavering. I think it's from his marathon days at like that 30K mark. And so we kind of, you know, 30 to 50 was a bit of a struggle and, you know, I had to be all pepped up and then I'd never been over the 50K mark. So I was a bit, 50 to 70 was kind of my low point, but he was really good. And then the last 30 was just like this big celebration of like, oh my gosh, we're going to do this and we're going to do it in like 12 and a half hours. Yeah. We're going to do this, like having stopped for like breakfast, lunch and dinner out here. Like we ate our way through that course, like no one's business. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I remember crossing the finish line and going like, great, sign me up for next year. And I want to, and you know, they kind of said, you can, if you do it next year, you can run by yourself. And I was just like, absolutely. Like, I can't wait to, to see what I can do when I'm just on my own. Oh, I love that. And I mean, Surf Co is such a good race. That was my first hundred K race as well. And, um, I can't fault it. It was the best day ever. Like the course, the people, just the race organizers, fabulous job. You get the Stein at the end. <laughs> like it was just the best. I loved it. So what a great place to do your first 100K. I can totally relate to that experience there. Um, you know, you obviously have that great relationship with your dad. What about your mom? How about mom? I know she lives overseas. Is that correct? Yeah, so when I was uh, 14, she moved across back to the UK. So she's originally from there. She's a part of a big family and wanted to be closer to them. Um, and, you know, she's always been a big supporter on doing of me doing what makes me happy. Um, but she never really understood and still doesn't really understand the whole running space. Um, you know, she's been an amazing mom of being happy to watch me run, pick me up. You know, she tried crewing. It didn't really work out. I was a little bit too, didn't stop for the conversation. I think she was expecting every 20 Ks. Uh, (laughs) And uh, yeah, she's the thing that I love about the, uh, the way that my family is, is like with my dad, you know, obviously this whole pandemic, we've definitely spent a lot of time together, but we, we just get each other. We're very, very similar. And we talk about running and we talk about racing and traveling and whatnot. Mm. And then with mom, like I really don't speak about running and I don't have to justify what I'm doing, how fast I'm going, like, you know, what I've done in this sport, you know, with her, it's just like, she gave me a lot about the love for food. And so we'll cook together or, you know, she just, loves going for long walks and that's cool and I'll do that and so like I don't feel the need to bring her into the running world and make her sit on the sidelines for 20 hours while I just run around the mountains Mm -hmm. um yeah and I kind of just love that I don't I don't need it from all angles I think I I live in it a lot and so it's nice to 
go to the UK and just kind of, I mean, the weather sucks there anyway. So it's, <laughs> it's a great place to just do a puzzle, cook some nice food and uh, yeah, yeah, spend quality time with my mom. Yeah. Well, that's what makes you connect, you know, and that's what we were talking about is that you, with your dad, you have that connection with running and that, that common interest. And then with your mum, you have that connection with cooking and just being together and, and that's good too. So I agree with you. You don't have to have everybody liking the same thing. Otherwise we'd all be the same. So, you know, it's great that you have that, um, that relationship with your mom in a different way. So that's, that's really wonderful. In terms of running, like what kind of running do you love to do most? Like when do you feel the happiest? Oh, I mean, at the moment I've just had a surgery done and I'm allowed 30 minutes a day. And honestly, I've never appreciated 30 minutes on the pavement, on the biggest, busiest trail in Diamond Creek, the bike path. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I just, I think I love running when I just love seeing like the people and I love seeing like the world go by. And I think, you know, when I'm running with Tani, our little puppy, you know, watching her just like be like, oh my God, it's a puddle. Like, oh my God, it's a stick. Like the sheer joy she has. And it's like, we run the same track, the same trees there, the same puddles pretty much always there on winter. But there's still this just like, I just, love when you're so present and I think when you have good company or you have like a really beautiful place to run I just yeah I guess I just have this like immense gratitude at the moment for just having the ability to get out and run and I couldn't care less where it is at the moment Um, and I couldn't care how long it is for Um, but I think that just seeing other people running together or, you know, smiling because they, they, you know, they feel good about themselves. And I just, that's the power of running. And I think that that's when I see other people taking on that power of running, it's just like, that makes me really, really stoked. Yeah. I love that answer. I mean, for me, running has changed a lot in my life over different periods of time as well. Like, I think back to when I started running as a young girl, like teens, early teens as well. Um, I didn't run in any races. I just ran because I loved what it gave me, that feeling that I had when I did it. I was just running around the local streets, like on the pavement as well. And it just felt so alive and I loved it. And then when I found, you know, races, I loved that too. I loved pushing myself and I loved challenging myself. And then I found trail running and then it just brought me even more alive into the places that I could visit and, and the people I could connect with and the most beautiful landscapes I could see. And I mean, I'm getting older so that that sort of brings its own challenges is that my body doesn't recover like it used to. So I'm enjoying just, I guess I still like to challenge myself, but just being like in nature and running with no real reason other than just to have my footsteps on, on the path. Like I don't need to have um, always to have a goal or a time or this or that. It's just because I want to run, you know, and I love that. I love that running can give us so much and free us. Um, And obviously, you know, you've shared so much of that journey yourself with running Um, I wanted to quickly touch on your rise to ultra running fame (laughs) and trail running fame. Um, You know, as a young girl at school, at high school, you know, a lot of people leave high school, they might go to uni, they might get a job. Um, Obviously you were working, I think in a bakery at the time when you were at school or just finished school. And then 
you know, when was it that you realized that you could actually make this running thing your job? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I'm still asking myself that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as I said, the, the paths in life go up and down. <laughs> Things change. But anyway. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So I, in the last few years of high school, was working at Baker's Delight and I was kind of just opening the store and closing the store and trying to save money for a gap year. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a time off between high school and university to because I just kind of you know I was so in awe of my friends that were like I want to be a doctor this is the score I need this is the path I take and I come away with a piece of paper that says I'm a doctor Mm -hmm. and I kind of never had that I never had this yearning to be anything I kind of did the most random subjects just you know I did a bit of French I did you know I tried maths Um, (laughs) I did some other things but I kind of was like I like sport but I don't like want to be a like I don't have a profession in that that I'm kind of like really drawn to and so you know I've you you hear about and my dad did the same this gap year that you go across and you overseas and you know maybe you'll find what you really want to do and so you know the one place I wanted to go overseas was Chamonix and I wanted to see the Mont Blanc marathon and I ran in the race and I um, did well as a young, as a junior, I came first in the juniors Mm -hmm. and, um, I don't know, I guess I kind of was just like, Oh, that was really cool. Like I'll be back here next year. And it was kind of like, well, if I have a job, maybe I won't. Mm -hmm. And then I just kind of, I don't know, I think life just kept going and I just kind of was like, Oh, I'm going to travel here and then here. And, and Solomon spoke to me and they kind of, you know, saw something in me and said, Oh, you should come to our junior running Academy. And, I just thought like in Australia, there was no one of my age running these races and it was all kind of the older, older generation. But then I went to this junior academy and these kids, I say kids, but young adults were, were making it their living. And I was like, oh, this is a thing, you know? And I, I think as I saw that and I kind of started to follow people online who the likes of Emily Forsberg, who had just were my idols. And I kind of was like, oh, why, why don't I think that this could be my life? Why couldn't I make this um, my daily? And uh, yeah, I guess I just kind of was like, I'll just take it as it comes, take it as it comes. And I really don't believe like you're ever too late to go back to school. Um, and so I kind of just have always just gone with the flow and run with it. And when there's been opportunities, seized it when I've screwed up, sat back down and, you know, I came back to Australia a few times with next to $50 in my bank account and went back to picked up a little job at a cafe and, you know, just kind of worked my way through and gave myself the opportunity to see like, yeah, if, if this goes well, then maybe this is a possibility and to have the likes of Solomon kind of backing that journey from the very, very beginning mm. gave me a lot of confidence that, yeah, you know, Emily Forsberg sponsored by Solomon. So maybe yeah. this is a thing. Uh, I mean, I think that's amazing. I mean, and it's, it's true. I mean, Australia is a little bit different in that regard. And I guess it's something we've never really considered till now like you know until the last few years ultra running trail running in particular wasn't a huge sport here um it is getting bigger um and I guess you know it took someone like you to pave the way I'd I'd say Lucy that you're a little bit like a trailblazer in this space and I think that's great because it shows other people that it is possible you know you could have gone oh I don't know like 
you could have been fearful of that opportunity and not taken it, but you didn't, you rose, you know, even if you were a bit afraid, which you probably were a little bit anyway, as a young woman, um, that it's the unknown that you took the opportunity, you took the chance anyway, and it took you all over the world. Um, it gave you great experiences. If anything, it gave you great experiences, great life experiences that you will never forget. And man, I mean, if I only had that opportunity as a young girl to see the world, like it would have been amazing. So I think it's fabulous. And no matter what comes out of it, if, you're con- if your career continues on that trajectory or not, you've had those experiences. I mean, you're, I guess when I look back at your journey from, from a, a you know, young 20-something-year-old to now, it seems like it was almost like the last sort of five, six years a bit of a whirlwind, I guess. Um, how did you feel during that time? Like, was there any time, any times that you kind of thought, I don't know if I want to be doing this anymore, or is it some, is, is it the pandemic that kind of, kind of put a halt on that? Or was there a time before that, that you kind of thought maybe it's time to change my trajectory a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I feel like it, you know, probably uh, relies a little bit on, the kind of day I'm having and where I'm probably out of my period cycle as to how I'm feeling about my life situation. (laughs) Um, But I do feel, you know, I really remember uh, from my 18th birthday, you know, I ran the Alter Trail Australia 100K and then it was my best friend's birthday a few weeks later and she was having a big party and, you know, all these, the kids, the, my friends, sorry, we're all so excited about going to university and, you know, how like that was going to be and they were, gotten into their courses and stuff. And I was just, you know, had a ticket waiting to go to fly into Heathrow um, in London. And then, you know, when I turned 21, I went to that, the, my same best friend's birthday at 21. And, you know, they kind of had all finished their courses and they were all the doctors and lawyers that they wanted to be. And I still just had another ticket to go over to Heathrow again. And it kind of really was like, wow, these guys are like, you know, pro- in when you look at it they're ticking all the boxes they're doing things they've got boyfriends some of them are engaged you know like life is moving forward where it felt like I was just like oh yeah well I'm just going back overseas and yes I ran another 100 k's and like they couldn't care less they didn't really understand but um I think that you know like when you see that and you're like oh like is this what I want to do like am I missing out on you know what those guys are doing which is just like following that path that, you know, you're laid out in high school, you're told to, you know, write down what you want to be when you're older. And I could never fill that question in. We interrupt this podcast episode to tell you about this week's sponsor, the Bear Creek Trail Run. The Bear Creek Trail Run will be held on December 5th, 2021. It's a perfect event for all ages and abilities and only 30 minutes from Sydney's CBD in the gorgeous Garrigal National Park. There is a fabulous 6km distance to the more challenging 12 and 20km courses. Also, there's a fun 2km dash to run with the little ones. It may be the only one of the trail runs happening this year and numbers are limited. Get your entries in. Entries are open now. You can have lots of fun and be home by lunchtime. Head to www.bearcreektrailrun.com to register. So I think that... 
you know, I, I think the pandemic definitely brought me back down. Actually saying that on hindsight, I had a really great year, 2017, 2018. I would say I had a really good 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, mm. 2017, 2018. And then at the end of 20, 2018, things started to, to shake a little. And I think that I thought that I had it all figured out. I was doing really well in races. I was kind of just, yeah, my social media was growing. I had a really amazing community. I was just kind of, things were just clicking and it was feeling really easy. And then it kind of all tumbled down a little bit. And the moment you're, you're handed a challenge, the easy option is be like, well, screw this. Like I'm going to go and do what they're doing and sit behind a desk and just kind of work for someone and then turn, close my laptop at five o'clock and call it a day. Mm. Um, And I think that, you know, I, believe that the pandemic for me was a blessing in disguise it kind of slowed me down stopped me traveling and avoiding this kind of lingering thought of is this what you want to be doing Lucy do you still love it um you know I'm a big fan of like you know run long run often but don't outrun your love of running and you know it's absolutely something that I own that I ran past that love and was just kind of it felt like this was now my identity. This is what I have to do. This is what I need to do. It's not so much what I want to do. Mm. And the moment I started looking at that, like a vocabulary that I use around going for a run, um, I started to realize like, hang on, Lucy, like check yourself for a minute because yeah, if, if your mind's not in it, it's not going to be long before your body just breaks down to kind of really put a full stop to this journey. And so the pandemic gave me that opportunity to just kind of, I don't have to race. I don't have to be ready for a day in the year. Um, there's no hundred K hundred mile runs that I'm going to be doing. And I'm just going to focus on, yeah, sorting myself out and just kind of really finding what ch- sets my heart on fire and chasing that again. Cause you know, whenever you, whatever you do, if you're really happy about it, then it's, it's always going to be the best thing for you. Mm-hmm. And I was just realizing that I was just getting kind of, swept up in what I think I thought everyone wanted me to do when at the end of the day, everyone just wants me to be happy. Yeah. I mean, the pressure, I, I can imagine the pressure. I mean, you've, it's a funny thing because I guess in some way when you're known in the sport or in any, any sphere really, and you're known and you put yourself out there, especially on social media, social media is a weird beast, <laughs> but like it's, um, even myself, you feel it's, it's almost like this pressure to be, to, to, to just keep going, but you've got to be true to yourself. So, you know, did you find that a lot of that external expectation was coming from just that pressure of what you thought people needed more than what you actually wanted? Is that, is that when you realize that mm, I'm actually not being true to myself here? Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, I think the sport of ultra running, um, you know, it is an extreme sport and there is an extreme mentality to it. No one can deny that you training for a hundred K race, hundred mile race, dedicating yourself to push when you even on the days you don't want to run that you still run. And I think I got just kind of got used to that. I was like, Oh, I don't really want to run today. But like, Lucy, this is, this is what you signed up for. This is your job. Um, you know, most people don't want to get up and go to work, but they still do it. And this is what you need to do. And, you know, 
for 10 years, running has been ingrained into my life. You know, my day starts, my favorite way to start the day is with a run. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of really challenging to kind of like sit back and think, what if you couldn't run Lucy? Like, what would you do then? What would, who would you be? Mm -hmm. Because I think I was just kind of like, you know, people would introduce me and they'd be like, Hey, this is, you know, Lucy Bartholomew. She's an elite ultra runner. And I was always like, yeah, like that's one part of me. Like I do that for 16 hours a week. I'm, I'm a, I run. Um, but there's a lot of hours there that I do a lot of other things. You know, I decided to, to write a cookbook. I, you know, I've kind of always tried to do other things just to kind of broaden myself because when, if you can't answer the question of who you are, if you're not running, then I think that's a pretty big warning bell for you to kind of sit down and not run for a minute and just mm -hmm. think like, how do, how can I find an answer to this, this question? Because at some stage that question will come about. And I kind of realized that um, when the pandemic started and I wasn't able to race and travel and do the things that formed so much of my identity and the stories I told. And then I realized that like, you know, I have so much other stuff that I can offer and I, you know, I'm so proud of that journey, but if I didn't race another day in my life, I'd be totally okay with it. If all my sponsors left me, I'd be totally okay with it. Mm -hmm. um, if my Instagram got deleted and I didn't have that, I'd be fine. You know, I kind of just realized and came to peace with the fact that those are little bits of who I am and people can judge or not judge me on those things. But it's kind of like if I'm not stoked on what I'm doing, then like what I put out into the world isn't authentic and it's, it's uh, people will see that from a mile away. Oh, love it. I love it so much. And it's so true. And I love that you realize that. And I also love that it, as awful as the pandemic is, um, it's given people this opportunity, this space to reflect and figure out who they are and what they want. And this podcast was born out of the pandemic, like that I had the space and the time to do something that I wanted to do, which was to share these stories. And finally I was like, right, this is my moment. I've got this extra time. I'm not traveling everywhere. Um, this is the time I want to share these stories. This is what I want to do. This is my passion is sharing these stories. It's not about running for me. It's about the stories. And, um, I love that you were able to find yourself in that pandemic. Like, and you did do so much. Like, you know, you wrote that cookbook, which was amazing and gave people so much. Like people really wanted that, you know, they were looking for something like that and it was successful. And then, you know, you, you took a step back from the racing around the world because obviously you couldn't and you were able to find out what it was that you loved about running again. And you're still finding what you love about running um, through this time. You were able to then work on the film, um, which we'll talk about now. And, you know, I want to know when the book's coming out, Lucy. <laughs> When's your book coming out? Are you going to do a book? I think you need to do a book. Uh, you know, I... I really want to do a kid's book. <laughs> I think if I was going to do anything, I would love to do something for like young girls. Cause you think of the books and like how, how much you take away from that. I still remember all the kids books I read. I couldn't tell you about a novel that I actually read, mm. but um, I just think that, 
I would do a kid's book hands down before I did anything to do with my story. <laughs> oh, but I love that. And you can incorporate like your life lessons in that kid's book, like just about life, what you've learned, the, the fun in it, the things that you found in fun and enjoyable in life. Um, I love that. Mm, you definitely need to do that. <laughs> you need to, well, whoever, who knows who's listening to this? You just don't know. So kid's book might be the next thing. You talk openly about female perceptions in running, like in terms of body image. And I know that this has been a big topic for you um, in terms of the sport. And I guess at an elite level, there is a lot of perception that people for performance have to look a certain way, have to train a certain way. How did that impact your journey in sport at that level? Um, And how, I guess, was there a time when you realized that that was a dangerous slope and how did that change for you in terms of your journey? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, for me, you know, I was always aware of the body image and the kind of, you know, I previously had an eating disorder when I was 12 because I'd done some, I'd been doing some little uh, little modeling gigs for um, some brands. And I, I knew that was a toxic environment and my parents knew, but we were very kind of... Um, delicate about using it Mm. and then it kind of came out of that came into running um and was very aware of like Lucy you're placing your eating disorder with excessive running and I was always kind of like you're going to do this well you're going to do it right you're going to do it properly and I knew that like once you started to compete against other people you started to compare against other people and when I traveled, when I left school, you know, I stood on start lines and I was so scared of the, the course coming up that I didn't even look left or right. I was like, Lucy, just stay alive, get up this mountain, get down, make it through the marathon. Mm-hmm. And it was just like that. Like I just had blinkers on because I was so focused on this amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess as, you know, like as social media starts to grow and become a bigger part of our sport and, through social media, you get so many opportunities and you also get so many comments and uh, people's uh, perceptions. Um, I kind of started to, whether I knew it or not, I was like, it's pretty obvious that like the smaller you are, the faster you go. Like, you know, you see that across like track running, road running, trail running, um, you know, the ones that were standing on the podium, you just, your mind just connects the dots. Mm. Uh, What it doesn't think about is that like, I wonder how happy that person is and I wonder how healthy that person is. Mm. And I think that that's kind of where I was looking at such a superficial level. I was like, wow, look at that. That's what I need to look like. Not what I need to feel like, or I need to, you know, I want to, you know, replicate. It's just like the look of it. I want to be a carbon copy of that. Mm. And when I got into Western States in 2018, I committed myself so hard to that race. It was kind of like, I thought I'd do it once and that would be it. And that was the dream ticked box done. And, um, yeah, I just kind of lost sight of everything and I just kind of wasn't juggling super well. Um, 
all the thing, all the balls that were in the air. I was had my sponsors. I had expectations. I'd had a good year of racing. Um, I was getting smaller. I was getting compliments. I was winning. I was being told I was doing really well. I was getting paid money. Like things were good mm. and kind of like the lighter I got, the faster I went, the more money I made, the more people who followed me. Mm. And this all went really well up into Western States and through the Western States race. And I finished in third place there and my following went up by 50,000 people overnight. And I think I look back and I think all these people started following me when I was at my lowest weight, probably my most unhealthy mindset, my completely rubbish hormonal system that was completely gone haywire. But that was their baseline. That was what they knew me as. And so then when I willingly or unwillingly had to take some time, reset, put some weight on, get my hormones right. They all started questioning. So you had 50,000 people that were kind of like, well, hang on a minute. Like you've completely changed. You've gained weight. Wow. You know, like she's not who she was when we first started. And so I understand why people would be so like, hang on a minute, what? Mm -hmm. But if you'd followed my journey from 15, when you saw me then to when I got to 18 to 21 and now to 25 it's a lot more it's less jagged it's more kind of like a flowy state mm-hmm. um and i think that that's a really challenging thing for anyone to take on is to to read comments about yourself and then to for them to try and connect the dots on a superficial level of like well it's obviously the vegan diet or well obviously it's because she's running stupid amounts and her body's just carking it or it's just like all these things. And, um, I think that I really want to emphasize if there's one thing I can leave this sport thinking is that like, I may have been winning and I may have been the shape that you would expect for the, to be on top of the podium. But I was super unhappy. I was really unbalanced. Mm -hmm. I was fighting more than just, you know, like the day to day grind. I was fighting so many things within my head and there's so much energy wasted on that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just want people to realize that like, I couldn't care less what you look like. I don't care, you know, like people say to me, they're like, oh, I'm not a runner. I don't have like the runner's body. And I was, I always think like, if you have a body, you are a runner, you know? And I think it's so important that people, and especially females, especially young females, really take a moment to be like, I'm so proud of myself. And, you know, things like getting your period, they, they need to be spoken about and they need to be seen as like, this is this is like a sign every month of how freaking awesome you are. And if you're not getting that like fist pump to say you're awesome, then like question that. And if you're doing something because you are trying to change the way you look and not for the way it makes you feel, then you're doing the wrong thing. Um, And it's not going to be sustainable and it's going to do what it did to me where it just like, you know, you might be taking two steps forward and it'll take you about 5,000 steps back. Um, And that's a really challenging place to be in. But if I can share that with other people, then like I'll take another 10,000 steps backwards in order to kind of like have a story that people can resonate with. Because all I've realized throughout this whole journey is that like I'm so not alone and people like 
things are quotes for a reason. You know, you hear these really beautiful quotes and, um, you know, you're like, oh, that would never happen to me, but that's a really beautiful way of saying it. And now I look back and I'm like, all those quotes are things that like, yeah. I, I did wrong, but like now I can look back and reflect and be like, okay, well, I can see why they came out of that so poetically mm-hmm. is because you know, like everyone has to struggle to to find success and to grow and to, to better themselves. And this was my challenge and it was kind of, yeah, it wasn't what I wanted, but it, maybe it's what I, it is what I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, to now be able to have, you know, so many females write to me and share their stories and ask questions. And, you know, um, I'm no doctor, like, obviously, like I've been saying, I didn't study anything. Um, but I've lived through this and I've kind of realized that this is what the world of running needs. It needs to be told that I don't, we don't care about your weight, your height, your pace, your distance, uh, what terrain you're running on, what color your hair is, whether you run, want to run in a sports bra or not, whether you run in a sport, whether you run, you know, like it's just, there are so many variables. There's so many options and it's so cool that you can stand on start line and choose what you want to represent and be who you are because that's what we need. We don't need carbon copies of the same person because that sounds boring as anything. Mm. And that's such a refreshing, (laughs) refreshing perspective to hear. And I think, you know, I'm really sorry that you had to go through that journey in a way because I know what it feels like to, (laughs) I guess we'll go through an eating disorder for one. I've been there myself, uh, you know, a really long 15 year journey of an eating disorder. You know, it's a different way of thinking now for me in terms of my body. Um, When I was younger, up until I was 30, you know, it was a real struggle for me. And it was about, I think for me growing up in an era where it was about body image was just, everything was about being thin or being athletic or this or that. And and I was trying to strive for something that was almost unattainable. And, um, and, and, and it's actually been something that I've struggled with being in the sport is that, and being, I guess, a little bit in the public eye in my role with Running Mums Australia is that, um, you know, I have to, do I have to keep this perception of looking athletic, you know, and sometimes my mind has gone back down that road to, I have to watch my calories or I have to this or I have to that. And it's such a dangerous, slippery slope. You know, I I try so hard to put the message out there for women that it doesn't matter what size or shape you are to be a runner. You can be a runner no matter what. Um, You know, all our social media is intentional in terms of all sorts of body shapes, sizes, different nationalities. Like it's just... I want people to feel like they belong no matter where they come from with running and particularly with women. Um, and I think it's so good that you in your, um, I guess, where you are and how many people know you, Lucy, that you are, you've been through this journey. So people do resonate with your story and they'll, they'll listen to it because of where you've been. And I think that it's so good that you're able to share that story that you're so open in sharing it because you just don't know what impact that's going to have on so many young girls that are coming up in the sport. And I think they definitely need to hear it because there's been a history that it's been the opposite, you know, in, in running that it was all about how skinny and lean you wear, how fast you can go. And you're telling a different narrative, which I think is so good. That's really good. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think it's, you know, everyone needs, we, we all need to work together. You know, I don't think that it's, um, you know, I never think that this is something resting on my shoulders, but I feel like what I have at the moment is an ability to, you know, I've been doing this year with the pandemic, uh, free talks to schools and I've been doing obviously online and I've spoken to probably about 45 schools and that's like 45 classes with girls and young boys in um, ranging from um, like eight-year-olds up to 17 uh, VCE students in their last years of school. And the amount of messages that after the talk I've given, which the talk is kind of just about five different racing experiences, like the one we talked about, the Surf Coast Century, mm. uh, running Ultra Trail Australia, Western States, um, and it all finishes with Lara Pinter, the movie we'll talk about soon. But, um, you know, it's, it's just, to me, it's mind-blowing that after those talks, I'll get at least 10, 10 messages from 10 girls that were sitting in that audience that kind of went, I want to have experiences like that and I'm not setting myself up for that because of what I'm doing to myself now. Mm. And I think, like, that's just so heartbreaking mm. because, you know, we put ourselves... Every day we have these opportunities to look after ourselves or to, to hurt ourselves and to hurt the possibilities for the future. If you don't look after yourself now, you know, like what's the likelihood of me being able to have kids later? Yeah. Um, you don't look after yourself now, what's the likelihood of me being able to help my dad when he's older? I mean, if I don't look after myself now, what's the likelihood of me ever standing on the start line of Western States again? Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of just, when you think of it like that and you completely remove the selfishness of wanting to look a certain way yeah. and you look broader of what, like, what can I add? Will I be able to help my friends, help my family or, um, you know, be a part of that Western States or trail running community? You realize like, it's just so incredibly crazy the way that we've, like the society's teaching us to think about and what we're kind of dealt with on social media. Mm. And so I think that, you know, like when I get those messages and I, like I say that to them, I'm like, you know, just think long-term, really try and be sustainable and not just like, you know, because we see these things and they say, when you're 20, you want what you, what you have when you're 30, when 30, you want what you, when you're 40, when you're 40, you want what you had when you were 20 and you kind of go back down mm. Um, if you always want what you don't have, then you never appreciate what you are. And I kind of just like really want to embrace what my body wants to do at any given time and look the way it wants to look, because if it allows me to function the way I want to function, then like could not care less what size clothing I'm wearing. I agree. And like, I think too, just changing that narrative for women and, and boys, um, about it's not about what we look like it's about what we can do like what can we do with our body we've been given this amazing body like it's it's such a beautiful thing and a beautiful vehicle um let's use it for good let's let's nourish it let's protect it let's look after it and let's use it let's let's see what we can do with it like you know so i think it's changing that narrative of um you know, speaking good things into it um, and looking after it instead of what it can look like. I think we really need to change that for young girls, particularly. We need to change that perspective. Obviously, this story, it's like, 
it's like this journey and it's gone had its ups and downs. And obviously I really wanted to talk about your film, which is by Brian Hines called Running Out. Um, and it's just been released uh, last week and I've watched it like three times. <laughs> um, one, obviously I, in preparation for this podcast, but I was just taken back to the most beautiful landscapes of the Lara Pinta Trail. And I wanted to talk particularly about your journey with making this film and along the Lara Pinta in terms of, I guess, how the story so far has led you there. I mean, when was it something that you put on your radar? Was it part of like this, this narrative we're talking about now with your story? Like, was this something that you wanted to do to, I guess, find out whether you still loved running? Yeah, well, I think um, I think it's an interesting one. I, me and my dad have always talked about multi-day hikes. Um, we were kind of looking more into like the American ones because dad, whilst he's done the 100K, 100 miles, I think his next step in his journey is that he wants to really slow it down and spend, you know, he's got far more hours in the day at the moment um, not working so he can go and do these hikes. And he kind of... I bought in this book of hikes and one of them was the Lara Pinta. And this was just last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we looked through and I'd heard of the Lara Pinta. My mom had said that when she first arrived in Australia, she went to Alice Springs and was just blown away by something in the air. Like there was just something really beautiful about it. And my mom never really says that about a place that would be like Alice Springs. She's always kind of like, Oh, the beaches were really beautiful or the mountains you know but like Alice Springs like when I looked at a map I was like was there that made mum go that was really beautiful Mm. um and so I've always been intrigued by it and so in January I met Josh and Brian and on a hike and I kind of just like I was saying at the very beginning I just started like spilling my thoughts and feelings and God knows what else to these boys. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I just, after all these lockdowns, I just want to run for as long as I want, for as far as I want. I want to go somewhere different. We can't travel internationally, but, you know, what's more different than like the middle of Australia? And I was like, oh, it'd be cool to capture it. And then I was like, oh, well, you're a photographer and you're a videographer and you guys have got kind of everyone's out of work. You know, we're all just kind of fluffing around with our days and pretending to do stuff. And, um, you know, we finished that hike in the end of January and I was like, when could you go? And they were like, March. And I was like, amazing. We went back into lockdown. I went back to my one hour a day, 5K radius. So my training was very minimal. Um, But I was so excited. I was so just like, this is it. Like, this is what I've always wanted to do is I wanted to try my hand at um, running for for that far. Mm. And I think that... I was trying to, I think what I thought is that I went from at 15 from very little running up to a hundred Ks. I went from a hundred K to a hundred miles. And if the pandemic hadn't happened, I was planning to do a hundred miles again and then take a year and do kind of marathon training and, or like shorter distances, not marathon road running, but like short trail races. Um, and I kind of, with the pandemic was like, no, I'm going to go further and I'm going to just like see what it feels like to be self-propelled and to do something that like I've thought of the logistics. I can start when I want. I can go for as long as I want. If I need to want to stop, I can just kind of 
go back to that chasing that curiosity of what does it feel like to run this far and just kind of yeah I think it was it was really my dad's idea he was like Lucy you just need to go out without a bib without spectators without competitors without people to without like all the bells and whistles that come with racing Mm -hmm. and just go out and find what's out there and I think that um you know I kind of started the run and at 30k's you know in the movie it's I stopped I called my dad and I was in tears I'd just fallen on the rocky terrain I cut my hands cut my knees I remember getting up after falling and looking out at the West Mac range and just thinking I'm so far out of my depth and I called my dad on this one hill with this one bar of reception and I just said I can't do this I'm not who I used to be I'm not as strong as I was I'm not as fit as I was like blah 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 Mm. my dad you know sitting on the couch with my dog was just like Lucy you've always loved the nighttime when you've run in darkness all you have is your little patch of head torch you just place your foot where there's good footing and you just focus on that and we were just heading into it into the night after that and i think that that's what i needed i needed that sunset and then i needed the darkness and i needed those 10 hours of me just looking at this little patch of light just trying to make every step count forward mm. and just backing myself and that's what dad said he was like you've just lost your ability to kind of say i know i can get through this because i've been through tougher and so it was just kind of this I just needed to be in a situation where I went, I can't do this. And then to come out the other side and go, I did do this. Mm-hmm. And then kind of, you know, the Lara Pinch is so long that I managed to go in and out of that cycle about nine times Yeah, <laughs> before I was like, oh my God, I've done it. <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I, I, yet. <laughs> I, I can relate because I mean, I've never run the Lara Pinta in its entirety. I've run parts of it, obviously. Uh, when I went with Michelle, which we've had on the podcast, but you know, but actually, before we move on, do you want to just describe to people, tell people what the Lara Pinta Trail actually is? Like, how far is it? Um, what's it actually like in terms of the terrain that you are running on? Yeah, so the Lara Pinta is a 231 kilometer, or well, that's what they say on paper. I think me and Michelle have both bitched that it's it's a lot further than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that runs either to or from Alice Springs. So Michelle and I both ran from Mount Sonder to Alice Springs. Yeah. And the terrain is, you know, I've run all around the world. I've run in Norway, South Africa, America, Europe. But there is no trail I've ever traversed that is that long, that rugged and that demanding. Mm -hmm. And when I reflect on it, it wasn't the physical challenge of running 250 Ks. I ran 250 with my navigational errors, Um, but it was the mental challenge. It was the, the having to navigate, the picking which rock do you think will not slide out from underneath you, which, you know, lifting your feet high enough to clear everything so you don't trip. And it's, you know, when I did it, it was uh, end of March, start of April. And just after they'd had a really big rainfall. And so everything was really green. The riverbeds were, um, that were usually empty. I was actually swimming through. So completely different to Michelle's experience. Yeah. Um, 
but it was kind of 20, I probably got up to like 32 degrees in the day. And then in the nights, it was like a really beautiful 18, 19 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, it's by far the most challenging thing I've ever stepped foot on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think anyone who puts himself on there is just like super incredible. Uh, I mean, I remember flying in um, to Alice Springs. I don't even know what I was flying over, but I, I've never seen anything like it. And I, I was just gobsmacked from the air. I was terrified of the Lara Pintachel and I was just a crew member and a pacer. And I kept saying to Michelle, I'm really kind of scared about this. I mean, I hadn't actually met them either in person. Like we chatted over FaceTime and I hadn't met my crew in person other than Chris, um, Chris Ord. But I just remember thinking this is taking me totally out of my comfort zone. So like, I mean, you've been, as you said, around all different parts of the world training and racing. What was it about the Lara Pinta trail that scared you the most? I think what scared me the most and what I loved about Michelle's journey with you and Chris and, um, and everyone involved was that Michelle was never really alone. She always had someone with her. Yeah. And I had envisioned that I wouldn't do any night sessions alone. Um, you know, the initial plan was that Brian would film, Josh would shoot, but also be a pacer with me. And it became pretty obvious pretty early on that that terrain and Josh just did not mix. (laughs) Um, He got very frustrated with it navigationally. And I realized that he didn't calm me down. He actually probably fired me up a bit more and it just wasn't going to be possible for Brian to drive and shoot and do everything by himself. So we decided that I would go alone. And I remember we made this decision probably the day before or two days before which was probably not a bad thing because I think the more time I would have had to, to think about what that meant and how many hours that could potentially mean of me being in the dark, in the middle of nowhere, trying to navigate. Yeah. And we'd done some recce runs and got lost every time. Um, and I just kind of, I'm glad that I didn't have time to kind of like sit in that. But I remember when the sun set for the first time, I just like, I've never felt just so alone and so by myself and I was looking at my phone trying to use the maps and then I had it on my watch and I just kind of was just walk off track just without even thinking about it and by you know by the time I looked at my map I was already 500 meters off and I think that what scared me the most going into it was the night sections and being alone What came out the other side is that the night sections turned out to be my favorite time. What it meant was that I could navigate really easily because my head torch reflected the arrows along the route, which in the day, like I couldn't really see all that much. Mm. Um, It also, yeah, like I said, it just made me focus on the small step in front of me rather than the the mountains that were ahead of me. Mm. And so it was like the most simplified time in the days. I just remember it getting so hot and me getting so lost and just kind of everything felt really hard and really heavy. And when you go into that kind of the third day or second, the second day, you're just kind of like, wow, this is getting, this is getting old and it's getting hard. And yeah, I just kind of the, the being alone, you know, you're 
in your own head for 54 hours I was and you know everyone's got an angel on one shoulder and a devil on one shoulder and you know the devil is kind of saying you can't do this you're not strong enough what what the hell are you doing get yourself out of here when you're going to stop at the next checkpoint Mm. then the other one the angel's saying like this is great like one foot at a time all you can control is your effort and your attitude focus on that keep eating keep drinking pace Mm. yourself Mm. and you're like you're battling the terrain you're trying to stay upright you're trying to pick your rock and then you're trying to battle in your mind of like I can't do this I can do this I can't do this I can do this I want to be doing this I don't want to be doing this you know (laughs) and so it's just like this constant emotional mental and then yeah the very last thing is the physical like Mm -hmm. my my body was okay but my like internally just trying to calm myself down and be smart and be safe and don't be stupid um, was kind of the the biggest challenge for me. Mm. And I mean, just hearing you say that and and in particular the night sections, like I ran all of my sections at night (laughs) with uh, Michelle. So I can understand how being alone out there would feel so kind of unnerving at first, but you know, when you just focusing on that little head torch and yes, the markers are so much more easier to see in the, in the nighttime than they are in the day, especially when you went because there had been the rainfall. So it was really green and they were harder to see because there was a lot more vegetation that had grown up and because of COVID less people had been run, uh, walking on the track as well. So it was a little bit more overgrown, a bit more of a challenge definitely to navigate. But I mean, in terms of being alone out there, was there moments where you sort of were able to stop and kind of appreciate where you were by yourself? Definitely. So going into, so we started at midday at Mount Sonda or just past midday and then went through the first night. And then I remember the sun rising into, you could call it the second day. And I remember being just before descending down into Ellery Creek and just kind of being like, wow, like I just, I just survived the night. I just did the thing that I was most afraid of. And I remember watching the the, uh, colors in the sky, going to those yellows, those pinks, those oranges, and just kind of like, you know, took a moment to wash my face in the creek, to put my hat on, to change out of my, like the night clothing and to change shoes. And I just remember coming descending in and running to Josh and Brian and just kind of being like, well, I'm, I'm going to do this. Like there's nothing ahead of me that I haven't encountered that was behind me. And I think that there was just this real confidence then. And, you know, you see in the film that like there's a hard section where I run out of water and yeah, there were even in that moment, it's funny. Cause like in the moment of that, I didn't feel like that was as bad as it looked. When I've looked back at the film, I've gone and my dad has gone, if I was there, I would have pulled you out 100%. And I think that that's, it's so fascinating because I have my experience of what I saw on the Lara Pinto and what I felt and what I did. And this film is a very, very, very raw and true experience of that. Mm. But to watch yourself suffer and or push through those kind of boundaries in such a raw way it really makes me stop and think wow like 
what I think is happening internally is not always externally what's going on. Mm. And, you know, I have an incredibly strong mind to push through that because in my mind, I didn't look that bad. I was okay. I was a little bit sunburnt, but we'll be sweet. <laughs> and, uh, oh, my God. I mean, I remember seeing that footage because we were planning on going, like, not long after you. And so I remember watching intently those three days, the stories, and when they put up the picture of you after you come back to the check, to like the crew with the bottle and you're just like on the ground and you're covered in dirt and you're bright red. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I was like, I was really concerned for you. And, um, and then to watch it again in the film, the way that you were talking, but you, I don't know, you still had the ability to joke. And I mean, I, I remember you saying something about being without water for seven hours and I was like, you had a leader with you or something and knowing what it was, what it's like out there because had been there. I was like, wow, like you obviously have that strength of mind to push through in that time. I mean, was there moments when you were out there during that stretch without water? Did you panic at all? Or what did you tell yourself to be able to keep going to stay calm in those moments? Yeah, I think, you know, I fully recognize that I put myself in that situation because I ignorantly thought the next section is through riverbeds. And we'd been told that because of the big rainfall that these riverbeds were full and that I wouldn't need to carry so much water through this big section, which Josh and Brian wouldn't be able to see me. And so I left with, like you say, I probably had like a litre, litre and a half. And I, you know, crested to this hill and I remember looking out at the land I was going to traverse at this plateau and I was looking for like a reflecting like a glistening of water you know to see like the river and there was nothing it was so dry and part of me was like all right Lucy do you go seven k's back and make sure hope that Josh and Brian haven't packed up and left yet <laughs> or do you just like you know maybe it's not as bad as it looks from up here you know just like radically positive mm. and I descended down I passed two walkers and I said oh hey guys have you traversed this before and they're like yep and I was like is there any water out there and they said god no and I just remember thinking okay, well, you know, like it can't be, it, how far is it till we get to um, Hugh Gorge? Mm -hmm. And on those arrows, every now and then you get like a little, uh, you know, how many kilometres it is and it said 37 kilometres. <laughs> and I just remember like when I first saw that, I was like, oh, that's got to be wrong. Like that must be to the Razorback or to the checkpoint or whatever. And I looked at my maps and I was like, it is 37. And I just... I had this moment of like, oh my God, I'm, this is like, what am I going to do? Like I've completely screwed up. I've put myself in, I was so angry and so frustrated and then so upset. And I went through the, the grieving process, you know, it was like denial and then it was kind of like acceptance. <laughs> it was yeah. like depression and wanting to cry <laughs> about it. And, uh, you know, I sat down in this, like the one little bush that had a little bit of shade and I just kind of thought, all right, Lucy, like, you put yourself in this position and if you get yourself out of it, you're, 
that's going to be like a huge win. And I did not want to call a helicopter. I didn't want to be rescued. Um, I obviously had that ability if things had gotten worse. But for 10 years in the sport, I've gone through hypothermia. I've gone through dehydration. Like I know what my body's capable of. And Mm. I kind of, you know, the two things I've always come back to is I can focus on my effort so I can slow down and I can relax. And the other one is my attitude and this kind of emotions of being angry and upset and frustrated is only taking energy away from moving forward. Mm-hmm. So I just remember being like, Lucy, you're going to simplify your life really down. You know, things are probably going to, things will start to shut down to simplify your body even more, mm-hmm. but we're just going to take it one step at a time. If you see like water, we're going to assess it. Like there was a pile, but I'm pretty sure it was a pile of um, cow piss. To be honest. <laughs> um, and I was like looking at it and I was like, you know, it could work, but <laughs> probably not. Chris actually uh, did drink through a live straw cow. Yeah, he did. <laughs> when we were out there. My hero. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just kind of, you know, focused on it. And I walked of that 37 kilometers, probably 36.5 kilometers of it. Mm-hmm. And I got absolutely fried because the other thing I stupidly forgot was sunglasses. And I also forgot um, sunscreen. <laughs> like I was like, oh. it was just the morning. I was like, oh, it's so cold. Like, great. And mm-hmm. I just didn't. Like I just had never done anything like this where the best thing you can do for yourself is prepare for the future and to help your future self. Yeah. And I've always been a very in the moment person of like right now I'm good. And, you know, I kind of like I'm so positive that like in a few hours time I'll still be good. But like that's not the case. And I just remember climbing up Razorback in the midday heat and seeing Josh and Brian on the ridge and my lips are caked in dirt because of the dirt in the air and that I'd been kicking up and a few times I'd fallen and put my face into dirt mm. and I'd climbed Razorback with like one hand on the mountain to make sure I didn't walk off the side of the, the side. and I got to the top and I was fully 100% checked out like I was done I was like great well I tried my best this is not safe this is what, it, this is how it is. And I, you know, I could barely communicate to Josh and Brian because my throat was so dry and, you know, Josh had three liters of water on him. I drank it all within a minute. Yeah. And, um, I, yeah, but the thing that the crux of this whole thing is that Josh and Brian, Brian has never run an ultra. He's never been in an ultra event, never seen anything like this. Mm. Josh runs a lot of road races. He's quite, yeah, runs short and, you know, just kind of lives the good life of running along the beach and pretty, pretty nice. Yeah. And I think they both haven't seen what, what pushing someone through that could have the ramifications of that. Cause if I had been in that crew, there's no way I would have let looking at me in that film would have let me continue. And it's the same with my dad. Mm. A lot of people said, Oh, it really triggered me seeing you like that. And I was like, yeah, totally understand. Mm. The thing is, is that like, they were kind of like, you'll be fine. We'll just wipe that dirt off your face, give you some water, put some ice down your t-shirt. You'll be sweet. Like you're going to keep going. And so they made me believe that I was fine. Mm -hmm. And when you believe that, it's amazing how things really turned around. You know, I had some water, had a little rest, um, drank some coconut water, put ice on me, changed clothes. And I was kind of like, yeah, you know, things are good. This will be all right. I'm a new woman now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to come through that and especially to watch back and to know that I came 
is just like an incredible thing to for the body and the mind at how much it can bounce back and how much it can endure. Mm. And I, I like I put a post up just before the film went out to say I do not I don't want to glamorize being in that situation. I don't want people to chase that feeling in that state yeah. for your body or your mind because it was stupid. Like it was my fault and I knew that I owned it. Um, and I got myself out of that situation and it changed the way I looked after myself moving forward into that run. You know, I was always carrying more water than I needed, always carrying extra of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, ultimately it meant that I had to slow down for the, the next hundred kilometers that laid ahead of me, but it was, yeah, it was a pretty traumatic thing to, to experience, but something that, yeah, again, I wouldn't change as part of my story. No, I mean, what a journey. And I le- I mean, I learned so much by just watching the film in terms of how you were able to push through. And I think, you know, thank goodness that they kind of were a little bit like in the dark about ultra running <laughs> because, I mean, yeah, I would have pulled you off course too had I seen you come in like that or at least given you a bit more time um, to recover. But I think it's great that your story continued along the trail. I mean, what was probably the most special part of the whole Lara Pinta trail for you? What did you enjoy the most? Oh, I would say I loved climbing Mount Sonder um, on the first day, <laughs> um, getting up there and just kind of looking out and that's the high point of the whole course. And, you know, I was up there with Josh and Brian and it just kind of, you know, when you have that feeling of like good things are ahead, not easy things, but good things. And yeah. I, I'm where I need to be. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like, you know, I've always hated, you know, the day before a race or the hours before I just want to start. And the cool thing was this was that I could just start. There was no meandering around. And once yeah. I kind of started, it was like, well, this is me for the next few hours. All I have to do is eat and drink and run and walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really felt that was really special but for sure when the Alice Springs community met me with eight kilometers to go up on Euro Ridge and uh, so we had five women that joined me there uh, one of which is an RMA member and um, you know descended down with them and then picked up more of the Alice Springs community including the kids uh, for the last five kilometers into Telegraph Station. I was so thinking that I was going to be doing that all alone um, and could think of nothing worse, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to have them there and they had an icy cold buff and they just had so much energy and they didn't expect the response or I didn't have to, I guess I didn't feel like I had to be like the smiley, happy Lucy. Like I was, ha- I was okay to just head down, staying upright, you yeah. know, just following their feet and, you know, every now and then mumbling something about gratitude for them being there. But, um, yeah, I think it was just like this real kind of like, Lucy, you don't have to be that all the time and people will be there for you no matter what. And I think that when I finished and the community was there and they'd all, you know, brought a blanket and some food because it was Good Friday and everything else was going to be closed and we hadn't thought of that. Mm. Um, you know, it was just kind of this like, wow, I'm so not alone in this sport and I'll never, you know, I never was alone out there. Mm. You know, there was always just that that something in the air that I guess my mum felt in Alice Springs and it was still there when I was 
out on the Larapinta Trail. Mm. And you were definitely not alone. I mean, even the people like me watching on from home and just willing you to the end and so excited to see your journey along the trail. Um, one for selfish reasons, because I was so excited to see what I could see before I went, <laughs> but also just to see you accomplish something so amazing. Um, and with your crew as well, because I was really interested to see how that worked together, knowing I was going to be on a crew um, in such a place. And so that actually really helped me um, to be able to go and do a good job for Michelle too, because I was able to see how that kind of worked together. Obviously everyone's different in the way they, they crew and, um, and the way that, you know, you did the trail was a little bit different in terms of times you started and to us and that sort of thing. But I think this, the community side of the sport is just beautiful. And we, we felt that as well when we were in Alice Springs. I mean, Rachel, RMA you were referring to, um, who's actually one of our admins, um, volunteer admins on our team. She came up when we were running up Mount Sondra on the first day and she came up and, um, and intentionally was there for the start and was hiking up Sondra with some other girls. And, and then at the end, um, the Alice Springs running community and Mark Woods came out to run the last few Ks with us. And it's just so beautiful to have the support of other people in your corner, especially when you're doing something so big. I mean, what does the running community mean to you in general? Oh, the running community is just family. When I joined the sport as a 14, 15 year old, you know, the trail running community signed my permission slips. They would be my guardians. Um, and then, you know, as I've gotten older, they're my training partners and they're my friends and they're, the community is just, that's what I'm in the sport for. I'm in the sports for the stories, the people, uh, the places that bring people together, the passion of running that brings people together. And I think that what the running out and what the Lara Pinta trip taught me is that, like you say, you can, ha you have the people that are right there. You have Josh and Brian who kind of say yes and back your, your dream. And then you have the Alice Springs community who kind of say, right, well, to achieve that dream, you need to do this, this, and this, and to do it safely. This is what we recommend, but we welcome you to the trails. Mm. Um, but then you have like the online following and the stories during the Lara Pinta were having a reach of 1.5 million people, mm. which is just insane. And they were from all over the world. People were staying up at night to see what was happening during the day in Australia and to make sure that I got through the next point. And it took me three weeks to get through all the messages of people that were kind of riding this wave with me. And I think what I love is that people were so invested in that journey and felt like they were along for the ride and part of the team. And people have said it felt like they were just reliving an old memory, like a fond memory was just being really aesthetically well compiled mm. and it's just kind of like a really cool thing to feel like we we were all in this together you know I couldn't have done it without Josh and Brian I couldn't have done it without the Alice Springs community and I wouldn't have wanted to do it with anyone but the community that was following along and supporting me when I looked like rubbish and just mm -hmm. being so positive and 
kind of reminding me of things that I've said to them um, is just incredible. So I think community is, yeah, it's just like it's the crux of the sport. I mean, it's not the running at all. It's it's the people whose legs allow us to move together. And, um, yeah, it's a really beautiful thing. Mm, I love it. So where can people go and watch the film now if they'd like to find out more about it? Where can they head? So there's a running out website called... Uh, which is www.runningoutmovie.com um, or it is just on Vimeo. Um, and then we are going to be doing some screenings as the restrictions have started easing. So Great. we uh, will be putting them up on the website and then just on my social media. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure I put all that in the show notes as well. I wanted to ask one question, like why was the film titled Running Out? Was there a reason for that? Brian, our creative uh videographer and who put it all together he came out with running out it's a bit of a play on we ran out of fuel on the way there um (laughs) and then it was kind of like we're running out back um in the outback um and then you know there are points where i run out of water i run out of energy running out of a lot of things Mm. um so it was just kind of like a play on that i think it's you know, we've had feedback of like, you know, running out. It sounds like I do just completely run out <laughs> um, and I run out of really anything. But, um, yeah, it was just kind of like this, the feeling of like, yeah, you can run out and then you can keep running. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's kind of what I learned from that is that it's, it's not the end until it's the end. And to, um, yeah, as one foot in front of the other, that's why the byline is go beyond limits because I felt like I'd hit my uh, limit and then I kept running. Mm, Great. I just, yeah, I just really wanted to know why, if there was a reason, like it might've been that there was no reason, but I just thought it's a great title. And, um, I mean, I guess you could even, I even thought maybe it's about kind of like seizing the now, you know, not running out of time, but like you said in the movie, there was like something like, um, I don't need a next, I have now or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I thought maybe it was to do with that. But like, yeah, I love that. I love, and I, I love that you run out of fuel. Anyway, we won't give any more away because I want people to go watch the movie. So I'll make sure that, um, that I put all the show notes so people go and watch it. Uh, before we be, uh, finish up, I wanted to do the RMA hot lap with you, which is just quickly five questions that I ask each guest before we end. Um, so the first one I have for you is out of all the runs you've done, which one has taught you the most about yourself? Oh, I would definitely say the Lara Pinter was a, a coming together of all the learnings from 10 years in the sport and 25 years of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. What does running mean to you? Oh, running means to me, oh, I guess it's just like, like we were saying, it's just community. It's an empowering feeling. It's a connection to the place you're, you are, the, the land you're on, the people you're with, the things you see. It's just kind of, it's a very, I don't like to use it as a meditative thing, but it's a very kind of present way of moving the body. Love it. And the next one is, if you could take one person running, who would it be and why? Oh, duh, that's a question. Uh, one person. <laughs> one person. Yeah. Oh, Nicole, I think I'd just go running with you because I haven't oh. run with you and we could talk more than just on the podcast. <laughs> totally. Let's make, let's make that happen. <laughs> My make dream happen. come true. <laughs> awesome. Uh, what is your favourite thing about being a female athlete? 
and what do you want your experience to teach other females? I think my favorite thing about being a female athlete is because there's not a whole lot of research and there's not a whole lot of kind of data around it is that we have the ability to pave that way. And I feel like that's a really empowering position to be in um, to kind of like, yeah, we can lay down some stats that are, that read a healthier narrative than maybe it would have a few years ago. Yeah. Love that. Well, it's been a pleasure to watch you grow in the sport, Lucy. And I thank you so much for sharing so much of your journey with us today and your time. Where can people follow along your story? I know that you're also coaching now as well. Um, you've still got your cookbook. You've, you've got the film running out. But where can people follow along? What's the best place to follow along Lucy Bartholomew's story? Yeah, the best place is definitely Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. So that's Lucy underscore Bartholomew. Facebook's pretty much just a copy of that. So I probably wouldn't do both of them. And then, yeah, I coach through Femi, which is an all female coaching platform. Um, that's all about your menstruation, going off the menstruation period. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's probably the best place. You can find my running on Strava, although I'm doing more walking at the moment. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, thanks, Lucy. I'll put all that in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I hope you loved that podcast interview with Lucy Bartholomew. What an amazing story and what a great journey that Lucy's been on. You can, as Lucy said, follow her journey on Instagram at Lucy underscore Bartholomew, or you can head out to runningoutmovie.com to find out more about her recent film, which is called Running Out. Thank you for joining us for the podcast again this week. I look forward to bringing you another amazing episode in a fortnight's time. There will be a few more episodes for the year and we'll be finishing up um, this season of the podcast. And I look forward to a bit of a rest and rejuvenation over the Christmas New Year period. For those of you that have asked, the 2022 Member Benefit Program will be opening in just a few weeks on December 1. I really look forward to bringing the program to you for the 2022 year where we can hopefully gather together again around the country. We have many, many event sponsors and brand partners on board again for next year. And I look forward to sharing in the 2022 journey with you. For now, please head over and subscribe, rate and review the podcast and please share this episode with your friends. And I look forward to talking to you next time.